Hello, my soul-seeking friends. It's Shanna. Thank you so much for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. Enlightening conversations with like-minded souls from around the world, sharing their journey of finding their light within, turning pain into purpose, and awakening to their true sense of soul. If you like what you hear, show me some love and rate, like, and subscribe. And consider becoming a Sense of Soul Patreon member, where you will get ad-free episodes, monthly circles, and much more. Now go grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today on Sense of Soul, we have Charles Hatfield. He has been a teacher and a meditator for over 30 years. His interest has been in spiritual emergence and the Kundalini. And he's joining us today to tell us about his new book, Self-Awareness and Meditation, an Advanced Guide for Meditators, based on his own personal experiences. So please welcome Charles. Hi. Hi, Shanna. How are you doing? Good, and you? I'm actually good. It's seven o'clock, and a lot of times, by this time, my brain just takes a plummet. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> for me, it's uh, nice and fresh and reasonably early. Oh, good. Well, then I'll, I'll just rely on you to bring most of the wisdom today. Oh, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Where do you join me from? Uh, Perth in Western Australia. That's why we're meeting at this time. <laughs> Most people in Australia live over east. So they usually think that we're the same time zone as Sydney. And well, we're not. We're two hours behind in the winter and three hours behind in the summer. Oh, so it's confusing. Your time zone is a bit confusing as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I'm like smack in the middle. Is it Colorado Springs you're in? No, I'm in a suburb of Denver. All right. So I'm close to the Denver International Airport, which has conspiracy. I don't know if you've ever heard of the conspiracy around there. <laughs> and the tunnels and the... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep, right down the road from there. So I'm pretty yeah. close to Denver. I'm about an hour away from Colorado Springs. Yeah, oh, it's a strange climate you have there. I remember... We were there, it was 27 degrees, and then they said, in three days' time, we've got snow. <laughs> yeah, in one day, we can have all four seasons. Yeah. We're, we're known for that. Yeah. Well, the conversation that we're about to have, a lot of it will be around awareness, which mm. I find is key. Number one, it's what really cracked me open, and I think that probably the one thing that could maybe save the world. Well, that's basically what the book is about. <laughs> but of course, I think some of the concepts in there will be particular to a particular path, shall we say. And I mean, once you get into the deeper self-awareness kind of stuff, you get different viewpoints, like Buddhists might be different from certain Hindu philosophies, you know, and somebody may not totally accept you know, I mean, I've had a bit of discussion with with a Buddhist friend and their concept of the self is very different to like what I've talked about, you know. So, yeah, yeah, and I guess your listeners are going to come from the full spectrum. The full mm -hmm. sense of soul, no yeah. matter what that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that title, Sense of Soul. You know, I think it's perfect. What's beautiful today, we can have these conversations 
where maybe that does look a little different mm-hmm. and that that actually is okay. And it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. because we are all coming from different places around the world and different cultures, um, different upbringings, you know, mm-hmm. different religions. But I think you're right there too, because consciousness as a whole is evolving. We're very different to what we would have been 10,000 years ago. And it's this evolving consciousness that maybe has reached the point of we need to start looking for a sense of the soul and and getting there. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's where we're at. Yeah, and actually I was just thinking about that earlier this morning. I just sat yeah. outside and ponder on that. Yeah. You know, this is very much coming into people's consciousness mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And so what happened? Because when I do some research and I read, say, ancient text, mm-hmm. you know, there's many of them I've read from all different cultures, seems like they knew some of the things that we're just now mm-hmm. reconnecting with. Yeah. Yeah, we've lost a lot too. But I think maybe back then it was the it would be a certain group within that culture that had this information. Now it's becoming more widespread. There's still a group that's right at the forefront, you know, but yeah, it's becoming more generally, it needs more general spreading, shall we say, and that's what your show does. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are seeking and sometimes they don't really know what they're seeking. And awareness is usually kind of the first step, you know, oh, the awareness of, oh my gosh, I'm more than a meat suit or yeah. maybe yeah. there's more than I've been told. Yeah. It is like an awakening. You, you're, you wake up yeah. and you're like, what? <laughs> and I think what the book tries to point to, and it might be difficult for some people to get a, grasp of is and it comes out in the strap line did you see the strap line of the book the that sentence that um, rather than meditation being something you do meditation reflects who you really are mm. and it's yes, and it, it gets to the point where we think we're the doer becomes a point where maybe the soul is prompting us and it's the soul that's really the doer prompting us to seek it so it can reveal itself through you if there's an underlying essence of what the book is trying to get you to consider, it's, it's, yeah, as you get more aware of self, then the more you realise you're not actually the doer. The ego will fall away. It thinks it's the doer, but it's being prompted. And it's, yeah, that's, that's how I see it, and that's how I kind of put it in the book. And that's how my, my teacher, who I've referred to in the book, that's what he was trying to get me to understand. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to think, well, how can I not, not be the doer, you know? But, yeah, it's it's a difficult concept, but it's it's actually as it is. How did you come to, you know, writing this book? And particularly when you're writing a book, you know, people think, are you trying to be an expert in something, you know, sort of thing. But for me, it was about 25 years ago I mean I was interested in spirituality and all that I used to go to India and I, I don't know if you've heard of of the guru Satya Sai Baba you mm-hmm. know I went to see him a few times I was on that kind of path and then about 25 years ago I came across a course uh, run by the University of the Seven Rays which I think is now based in California it was based in New Jersey 
So I did that course and uh, at the same time the teacher said, you know, if you want to use this for work, you really need to get a more uh, traditional training as well. So I did diploma in counselling to give myself credibility. Um, and that just from there, I had to write a thesis, that's right, for the course, and that thesis became, is written as a book for counsellors. I mean, never published, but that's how it was written, as a book for counsellors on how spirituality emerges and how it can be difficult. You know, people with what's called spiritual emergency, you know, having what appear like psychotic episodes and things like that. So it's really a book on how the Kundalini works. You've heard of that, I'm sure. And uh, written for counsellors and once I did that I thought you know years later this could this I should expand on this I should do more with this and that was the start so then all the experience came in the the years of mentoring with Master Charles who's you know uh, he's got an ashram he's passed away now but he's got an ashram in Virginia and I used to go there Oh, I had direct help from him, direct mentoring. So that forms three chapters in the book, basically. And there's the chapters on the mechanics of consciousness, dream interpretation, and third one, meditation pointers. That's all based on my experience and his explanation of it. So it could, you know, almost be a book within a book. Let me go back to something that you mentioned, the seven yeah. rays. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have the book, The Seven Seven Sacred Flames by Aurelia um, Louise Jones. And right. that book, you know, it talks about the seven rays. Hmm. And I don't know if it's the same seven rays, to be honest with you. Well, I haven't read that, so I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I know that it mentions, and the seventh ray is Saint Germain. All right. As so an give, actual. Personify it. They give, yeah, personification of the energy. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then all of his reincarnations. Yeah. I've heard of Saint Germain and Michael and all this stuff, yeah. but I've never actually linked it with the rays. The, the oh, rays okay. are like seven aspects or energies of divinity and everything fits in it's like a tapestry of rays that gives us the experience that we have and uh yeah it's i mean for example i don't know how the book puts it for example ray one is will and power all right uh ray two is love wisdom ray you know ray three is adaptability or intelligent activity ray four harmony through conflict Ray five, concrete or scientific knowledge. Ray six, idealistic devotion. And Ray seven, organization or ritual order. And that forms a tapestry of creation, basically, within that, that spectrum. I like that. Uh, so is I, it kind it, of also aligned it, with the chakras then? There is alignment with the chakras, yeah. Um, I think I put that in under the chakras in the book. There's also the fact that and this, I've only touched on it in the book because it, yeah. you know, I've got books this thick that go into <laughs> detail. Uh, but your personality, as opposed to your soul, everyone's personality is on a different ray. Okay. All right. So the way you are would match that particular ray. If someone that's always got conflict in their lives, you know, drama queens and so on, 
are probably on ray four, which is trying to get harmony through conflict. So you need the conflict to learn about harmony. Um, ray six is another example, is very do idealistic devotion. And each ray has a negative and a positive quality yeah. too. So at the negative, it would be the fanatical religious people. They've got that devotion, that idealism, but they're approaching it fanatically. You know, my way is the only way. But on the positive side, it would be someone who's just devoted and loving, you know, in some way. They may have a, a guru or not, it doesn't matter, but it's that energy, that devotional energy in a positive sense. So, you know, we need to move more from the negative to the positive. Yeah. Uh, but where I'm leading to is the soul is also on a particular ray. So it's not necessarily the same ray. So there's conflict between the two, and that can cause a lot of the conflicts in your life. You're trying to align with the soul, and your personality is telling you something different. You know, it's uh, there's quite a and different rays. You know, each ray is going to have seven possibilities from soul's personality. So that's quite complicated. But um, the personality ray will change from life to life. All right, and don't keep that one. That one, you've got to experience all of them, but your soul race stays the same. And most people, I say most people, probably have the soul ray number two, love wisdom. That's where you're heading. Those people are heading. Someone might be ray one. They're quite rare, but they need this forceful, you know, they need to bring out the power side of things mm. as a, from a soul perspective. Speaking of wisdom, so I've been studying the Gnostic Gospels for a few years now. Oh, yeah god that is a deep dive <laughs> i bet there's so much wisdom in in christianity so much has been lost unfortunately yeah. Yeah. So much. i just read a book on um the essenes mm -hmm. and of course they they were kind of along that those lines and it uh, you know i take it with a pinch of salt because it was based on a group of people and their past life regressions and they went back to when they were in the Essenes, they knew each other and they talked about what the Essenes did. Yeah, I do find it, it's, it's fascinating that these books are becoming more popular. And it's funny because when I did all my research on the Gnostic Gospels, what I did find was that there was groups that knew this wisdom all along. They just mm. were secret societies. <laughs> well, when you look even at the way that we can be persecuted if we're too outspoken on what we think. Imagine what it was like back then. Oh, yeah. I would have been burned at the stake. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you might have been. But, so uh, you know, you had to be careful. And I think some of the wisdom books were probably written with pen names and things like that. Yeah. yeah. I also find a lot of wisdom in um, some of the Muslim, Eastern traditions you know like Kabir was oh. one yeah they write poetry but you look at the wisdom that was in there I found that in, even in my ancestry a lot of the history that I learned was through books of poetry yeah. I, I, mean, I was able to actually learn more about history by just them yeah. writing freely about yeah their emotions and how you know and how they felt in their experiences of what they're experiencing there's a lot of wisdom in poetry yeah another one remember the other name Hafiz 
Perfect. You know, they're like 13th, 14th century mystics. Okay. The depth of what they write, you know. Yeah. Quotes that you can get from them, incredible. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm all about it. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's it's a little untouched by maybe a hierarchy. Hmm. You can find those gems in there. That's hmm. just true and very hmm. raw. And I love that today we can be that way again. Hmm. And if there's like this sovereignty that comes with being able to express yourself freely. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that throughout my entire journey was dreams. Hmm. And I have received so mm. much in my dreams. It's one mm. of the things that I can say that it's my experience. Like no one mm. can take away my dreams. And I can tell you that Shanna did not know these things. So something mm. in my dreams mm. was revealing mm. this knowledge that in this life, in this body that I mm. have never heard of. You yeah, have a chapter in my book. You know? Yes. Yeah. You know, I know my dreams, they actually were huge parts of my journey. I didn't realize it when I dreamt them. I sometimes realized it like a year later. Yeah. Well, some dreams can can be a bit prophetic. Mm -hmm. I can use that word. And there's a way, at least for me, that it comes through in a way that some authority figure will appear in a dream, in the dream. It might be one, you know, one of the people that I've had as a guru, for example, or it could simply be, I think I've had George Harrison appear in the dream, you know. And so it's kind of saying, this is somebody you respect. It's an authority kind of figure. Yeah. And then they give you a message. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of trust those messages because of, they're coming from a higher source and your consciousness just picks, personifies it in some way somebody you would respect it could just be your local doctor but generally speaking you know for someone like me who's had who's had a involvement with gurus it usually is one of the gurus appears in the dream and, and tells me something and that's a message other times you'll get dreams which may be a picking on past life experience and like one I can remember I dreamt I was getting married and the lady I was married to in the dream was as familiar as someone you're getting married to. You know, curly black hair, I think I remember. And as soon as I woke up, it was the face of a stranger. So I take that must have been a past life thing, you know. Yeah. There are different kinds of dreams. But the one that sticks out, I wouldn't say it was profound, but it sticks out because it had so much symbolism in it. That's what I find is so fascinating, too, is the yeah. symbolism. You know, sometimes it's not so black and white. I mean, and I've actually also received actual symbols. Your dream doesn't, doesn't necessarily talk to you in language because you're coming from the unconscious realm. Mm -hmm. But certain archetypes or images are universal. Some perhaps specific to your your upbringing, your culture or religion or whatever. But, yeah, archetypes are valuable. I'll try and remember this dream from memory. And uh, I was in the garden of my childhood home where I grew up. Now, that's symbolic as well because I'll go for the interpretation afterwards. And um, my 
pedestrian dogs in the garden and she's making a noise. And my dad's sitting in the lounge of the house and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to disturb him. As it happens, he did get disturbed and he got up. So anyway, we went, I took the dog into the house and the dog had, it had a, a mouse in its mouth. It was carrying a, a dead mouse. We went into the house. My dad was there, but he went upstairs. And I wanted to follow because my meditation room's up there, but I couldn't. For some reason, I couldn't go up the stairs. And that was the end of the dream. And there was so much symbolism in it. Childhood home, usually, I'll talk about myself. It might not necessarily be everyone. When I get a dream about my childhood home, it's usually about conditioning or whatever that I got from my childhood, mm. thus childhood home. It might be a house more recent, might be where I'm living now, but usually it shows you where it's coming from. My dog represented my, let's say, ego, but it's a clearing dream. It means that you're processing information data and it's a you get processing there's a five-fold cycle and that that's all talked about in the, the, the book as well but you're you're processing so the dog is your ego you're processing you get to the house and the dog's got a mouse in its mouth now from the tradition that I'm used to which is perhaps more the Hindu the I remember Master Charles telling me he says and what does the mouse represent I said I don't know what's the mouse supposed to represent he said have you heard of Ganesha? Yes, you know, the elephant god. Well, at the feet of the elephant god sits a mouse. Wow. All right. So this represents Ganesha, and he's a remover of obstacles. You're clearing, and your obstacles are being cleared, thus that symbolism. So I go in the house. I want to follow my dad upstairs. Upstairs, you know, higher chakras, yeah. which you usually try to connect with in meditation. But I couldn't. I couldn't because I was clearing. Now, you can't just go and sit down and have a peak experience when you've got all this stuff going on inside. So it's a very symbolic dream. Mm -hmm. I've got, you know, that's one of my favourites, I think, for symbolism. And it is in that book, probably with a better interpretation than I've just given you. But anyway, it's there. <laughs> so what did you do afterwards? So you, you realised that you were clearing and that yeah. you can get up those stairs. So did you take advantage of the symbolism? And maybe go a little bit further with that in meditation or no because you know you're clearing a lot of the time it's a constant thing these, these cycles can be matter of minutes it may be days you know this five depends what's being cleared uh but the, the cycle itself is like for example you might sit down in meditation or let, let's say you go on a retreat and you're really brought to the best you can be you know, you've you reached peak. And that leads to an evolution within yourself. And that evolution may or may not give you some kind of illumination, but that is usually followed by processing. Because once you've been brought to peak, you're more than you've ever been, something's got to give. Because mm -hmm. we're carrying all this baggage around within us, all our conditioning, all our enculturation. Something's going to go. It's not up to you what's going to go. It's just going to surface. And then you might feel uncomfortable and you might think, oh, I can't do this retreat. You know, it's too much. Or, and that's the processing. So you integrate the new level of who you are. Now, this doesn't just happen on retreats. You, you sit and have a good meditation. Well, you're probably something's going to have to give. 
meditations aren't always blissful experiences they can be quite uncomfortable or it might be something happens during the day and you think oh i want to meditate but i'm just you know just not feeling up to it but one thing that does happen the more you meditate the more you get into it let's say the more advanced you get the more you have what's called an integrative peak the more you actually peak and clear or peak and process at the same time so you don't get such wild swings at least not on the lower level but you know on the higher level and particularly the closer you get to this so-called self-awareness it can be quite really challenging because the ego eventually has to go and the ego is not going to give up easily and and you can have some really difficult times and that's why i've got a chapter in the book i've called it the way forward you know i'm not claiming to be enlightened or anything like that i'm just claiming i've had all this experience and research and learning and it can be of value to others so i put it in a book but in order to say where can this go to i put the chapter in and i called it the way forward and it's got experiences of dr B.S. Goel, an Indian guy who's, you know, I got hold of a couple of his books many years ago in India. They're only printed there. And and another, and Muktananda was the other one. But mostly it focuses on Dr. Goel and it gives his whole process that he went through from when he first had a breakdown right through to being enlightened. And what he saw in his visions and his experience, he would go for days, he thought he was dying. You know, he'd be lying on a couch. He wouldn't want to come out of his room. He was convinced he was dying. And then he'd have a huge opening experience and everything would be fantastic. We hopefully won't get that. (laughs) But that's the extreme. And I think he felt that he had to go through the extreme to show what happens in the end game so maybe the more you meditate the more you focus on improving yourself and becoming more self-aware the less challenging it you know may hopefully be when if you get to that point you know so and i always find these 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 stories of people who've become enlightened i always find them so fascinating you know inspiring even though they're not always pleasant (laughs) they're just inspiring that you're going to get there one day. It's written into your DNA, you know. You, you have to get there one day. Yeah. Well, that's my favorite thing to do is hear people's yeah. stories of how, you know, they came to discovery, yeah. you know, their light within. Yeah. I mean, how do they, you know, become yeah. aware? I mean, I think that for myself, I mean, it was such a you know profound moment I mean and actually in my last episode that I released I talked about how one of the most I can I'll never forget one of the most conscious moments Hmm. one of the first conscious moments I ever had was ridiculously in a bathtub (laughs) but but it was so (laughs) profound it was so profound I mean I happened to see a bubble bath you know, that had been stuck on the side of my tub for probably a year. And I had never read what it said, but what it said was begin again. And it was this beautiful poem or or just writing. And 
the reason why I remember it was because it was like the first time, one of the first mm. times I was just very yeah. conscious and it was profound. Very, very aware and in the present moment. Yeah. Totally and, present. Yeah. You know, since then, I would say the funnest thing mm. about awareness and being self-aware mm. are synchronicities. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, love synchronicities yeah yeah i mean they guide me you know yeah. um, and they used to be like oh my god i can't no one's gonna believe me i can't wait to tell people this now mm. they happen so often i'm like eh yeah <laughs> that happens yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. and it's a case of did you listen did you get the message you know or, or whatever it might be yeah because otherwise it'll come hit you upside your head <laughs> I think the more you're open to it and accepting to it, the more it will happen. Um, yeah. For me, for some reason, often it happens, I'll see a rainbow. You oh. know, obviously it's raining, but it just seems to be the synchronicity at that moment. You know, and, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, another one that I always think, why did that happen? I went to a barbecue, it was about 35 years ago. And uh, I was at this barbecue and the host of the barbecue came up to me and he said to me, you must meet Bass, he's an Indian guy. He says, he'll tell you all about Sai Baba. And I'm thinking, why do I need to know about Sai Baba, you know, whoever this guy is. <laughs> so he took me over to Bass and he said to Bass, this is Chaz, that's my kind of nickname. He said, this is Chaz. He wants to know all about Sai Baba. <laughs> So anyway, this guy tells me all about this guy, Sai Barbara. I didn't really believe him. <laughs> I said, but I've got an open mind. I like to believe I've got an open mind. If you've got a book about him, I'll read it. And I did. And it was life-changing. Mm -hmm. you know? So that was the universe at play there, certainly. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think that when you are open to it and as you are allowing yourself to follow the signs and and align mm -hmm. yourself you're aligning yourself with yeah. the frequency or vibration or the ray yeah. whatever it is yeah. that you are supposed to be on then all of a sudden you know teachers come into your life and the dreams oh, come yeah. into your life yeah. and the synchronicities and there is this like evolution of your consciousness there's a popular saying, it says, when the student is ready, the guru will appear. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean a guru. It just means it could be your higher self. Something's going to, you know, you're ready for something, some higher learning, and it will appear yeah. to you in whatever way is appropriate for you. I love that, too. I found that, especially through that whole journey through the Gnostic Gospels, hmm. I was kind of on my own. There's not hmm. a lot of people out there who are you know in that study and believe me i seeked out all of them <laughs> and you i the to interview them <laughs> you get the opportunity but yeah that's that that counts for me too sometimes i do feel so much alone I, I, I wish i could find a group i could go to or you know get some friends with the same interest but it's particularly when you're stuck in the middle of the most you know, the most isolated city in the world apparently, or most isolated <laughs> capital city, they say, well, yeah, there's, there isn't a lot. <laughs>
a lot of people a lot don't of get people. married. It's very hard to find people on, on the same wavelength. Yeah. Very hard. But, you know, in the same, I have also found, I could sit here and I could talk about um, hangers. I'm just going to use the, like the most random thing. And all of a sudden, like tomorrow in my inbox will be someone that wants to talk about hangers. <laughs> like energy attracts like energy. Yeah. Actually, you're talking about that, and I'm, I'm thinking for some reason it brought up dreams in my mind because I don't mention it in the book. We've got something called conscious dreaming, and if you dream a lot, you could, if whatever you're really thinking about or is important to you when you go to sleep often appears in your dreams. Mm -hmm. So you can guide that. You can say, well, you know, I'm going to really focus on such and such a thing. And hopefully it'll come up in your dreams. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. I had this one dream. I, I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I've been tracking my dreams for forever. Mm -hmm. So I have a dream mm -hmm. journal right next to my bed. And usually I, I chicken scratch right on it. And you can't usually understand what it says in the morning. I'm like, ah, but I was in like the school mm -hmm. and I was like in an auditorium. And I could hear the teacher talking. I could even see people, mm. not maybe not their faces, but I remember one girl had a striped shirt on. Mm. And so that stuck out to me. But when I woke up, I, that's all I had remembered. I couldn't remember what I was learning. But when I woke up, I, I was on a break. Like I was, you know, like it was lunchtime or something. And I oh, came yeah. back and, and I was like, I didn't, I was confused, which was real. And mm. so I went back to sleep. I went back to the school yeah. and, and it was, so, it was interesting because I wasn't sure if, you know, I was so confused. I was like, which, which is the real life? Like, and, yeah. and I forget, you know, yeah. in between it was, it was really wild. That's a good question. <laughs> which is the real life? <laughs> That's how it felt though. It really yeah. did because yeah. My, oh, that was the other thing. So I woke up that morning because I was, yeah. if I can't remember, I write down how I feel. I love taking classes. I really do. But sometimes at the end of a class, my brain's about to explode because I've, I have so much information. That's how I felt when I woke up. Well, I mean, the fact that you had the school in the dream is obviously some learning experience. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was wild. Yeah. But you, have you ever noticed sometimes you have a, a, a really nice dream and you want to go back to sleep to continue it, but you also know that if you don't write it down, you might not remember it. <laughs> you, you can watch a dream disappear in front of your very eyes. No, don't go away. I want to remember this. You know, yes. so. I love Carl Jung. He has been around every single corner in my journey. So, mm. I mean, when it comes to symbolism, even the Gnostic Gospels, I mean, you know, mm. he, synchronicity, you know, he had it all. He, he was a part of all of it. And I feel like I can lucid dream, decide to make decisions in my dream. And mm. once I started to intentionally lucid dream, I, it, was a, it was really powerful because I'm like, wait a minute, I, I'm turning this all around. I'm going to... <laughs> make something different happen in the stream because this is this is a bad dream and I don't want it to go like this so I'm going to shift and yeah. I'm going to make this happen but then in the same like why 
why wouldn't I be able to do that in this life? I should. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. I could. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, our lucid dreams are, they're fascinating. They're so vivid. They're so clear. But have you noticed sometimes something happens or you see something in the dream and you think, yeah, that's there in real life. You know, this poster and the, this big billboard in my name, yeah, that's it there in real life. Well, of course, you wake up and you know that was a load of nonsense. But a lucid dream seems so real, but you've got to be careful. There's still things in it that in the dream you believe is real, but when you wake up, you realise it doesn't quite fit, you know. Have you noticed that or your dreams really spot oh, yeah. on? Yeah. Oh, my God, no. I mean, I've had the craziest dreams ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have this one dream <laughs> where it's the same guy. He comes to my dream often, kind of like, I mean, it's not a guru that I know, but I believe that he must be very significant. He always mm. brings some sort of little nugget to me. Mm. And he has um, a robe on. I can mm. never really make out his face too much. But one time we were at a river sitting mm. um, next to a river and, and he holds his hand out and he has this oyster shell mm. and he holds it kind of towards me and a little bit over the water. And he says, this is the yolk. And all of a sudden a little raindrop falls onto the yolk and goes into the water. And there's like a tadpole in there. Mm. And then it, the dream, and then I'm coming out of the dream. And I was so mad because I was like, who are you? <laughs> I didn't get to ask him. Maybe, and, one, maybe one day you'll find out, but yeah. I mean, it was crazy because things did start to add up about that dream. Uh, things would happen. I'd be like, oh my gosh, the dream. That same night though, mm. I had two dreams. I was having stomach issues, which is, you know, when you wake up because you have issues, you know what I mean? Like I have uh, hot flashes now, so I'm dreaming a lot. I remember everything. I was having stomach issues back then. And so that same night, this woman comes into my bedroom and she puts her hands on her on my stomach and she heals me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so nice, you know? And as she's leaving and she's actually just walking to like my, my bathroom, which is so weird. But I remembered that I didn't ask the guy with the oyster shell who he was. So I asked her, wait, 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 who, who are you? And she goes, oh, I'm the hunter's wife. Hunter's wife. The hunter's wife. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, it's so like, what? And later on, the hunter's wife all unfolded for me. Mm. the hunter's life was i was having all of this synchronicity around the goddess bridget and her myth there was just all of these things that were coming up that so you found who she was yeah i think so yeah yeah i didn't know nothing about the hunter's life <laughs> usually i find in dreams where there's let's say a powerful woman or a significant woman she represents what's called the divine feminine you know the, the higher level of creativity that you know what what we're in the, the this this realm but she has many masks you know yes she could be hunter's wife but she yes. may appear to you as 
somebody else in another dream. Yeah, so, you could be the hunter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, so that's been my study is the yeah. divine feminine. And that was one thing that was, it, it was not in my brain, you know, hmm. our, our father who are, is art in who are in heaven. I grew up Catholic, hmm. right? To have a mother as a goddess mm -hmm. was never anything that I ever thought of. And so mm -hmm. I had to really shift my perception and kind of really forget everything mm -hmm. I thought I knew to accept yeah. that. And I guess at that, that level, we give it he, she, or whatever context, but really it, it's beyond any of that. But we have to be able to try and understand. So obviously the father is usually considered the, you know, the master of the house or something, you know. And so, so we've been paternalistic and looked at it being a father god. But yeah, fe feminine. Well, it is a feminine god if you take it that whole of creation is is one polarity, the feminine polarity, and yet the the creator, shall we say, I mean, in Hinduism, it's Shiva and Shakti, but the, the creator tends to be given a positive polarity, which is usually associated with masculine, but it's just the association that's given to it, positive and negative. And ultimately, we want to combine the two and be one, you know. But, you know. Yeah, to be both the duality in the seven rays, I mean, there's going to always be that duality mm. and it seems like in everything. Yeah. But really, when, when I talk about the dreams in the book, the, the there's two aspects to the dream, the context, which is your, you know, your psychology coming out, shall we say. But there's the mechanics of consciousness aspect based on the five-fold process, but also the positive and negative duality. It seems for some reason the positive polarity is usually depicted as masculine and the feminine polarity as negative. Now, we don't mean negative as in bad and positive as in good, but we want a balance between the two, positive and negative. But in, in dreams, the positive polarity shows as male figures, father, brother, male friend or whatever, and the negative polarity shows as female figures. So the association and positive is better than negative in that it, you need more positive to because we're default negative in the way we are in the way we live in this duality that we're in so you know i'm thinking so i might for example you may have a fee i may have a female figure and it may be more of a a loving relationship because male female me and females would tend to go that way and I'm thinking what about a woman in her dream <laughs> and uh, I remember asked about this and it's still females are still the negative polarity but the dreams will be slightly different you know that it's a different way that it's shown but it's still that the male polarity is shown as the positive is shown as male and the fem female is the negative and some people, why should the female be the negative one? But that's just the way it is. I did so much research on like the dark mother, you know, like, however, you know, even look at Kali Ma, who is, you know, transformation or death. And I've had many conversations with Raja Shri Ma, who wrote a beautiful book called 
Kaliki Reiki. Mm. She created Kaliki Reiki. And us talking about how transformation or death, you know, has always looked at so negatively, right? Mm. I mean, it's so finite, which it, it is absolutely not. It's the opposite, actually. From the ego perspective, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't want to die. It doesn't want to <laughs> change, right? It doesn't want to change. And, but from the soul perspective, it's just, you know, just part of the cycle. I mean, what happens if we don't, you know, change, you know, I guess we would be dead. (laughs) Yeah. And you never really totally get rid of the ego. This thing where people say death to the ego. Yeah. It gets re-scripted, basically. You still have to have some means of living in this world. Yeah. If you become totally soul-realized or self-realized, the re-scripting of the ego would be, accepting of that and knowing knowing that it's got a purpose to help you in this life it's probably better to think of it as the personality that you have but you never totally get rid of it not whilst you're living a physical existence at least that's how I kind of have been led to see it you know how they say that we are only conscious like I think it's like one or two percent of the time Mm. and Mm. the other time we're we're not I mean, I wonder if, you know, maybe they should, maybe today, maybe it's getting a little bit bit better. I mean, I feel like I try to be conscious throughout my day. Of course, I'm I'm not, you know, I even have ADHD, so, (laughs) you know, but I'm always coming back to myself. And in fact, and I'm searching for opportunities and moments of presence. And the more you have them, the more you, I think the more you do search. It comes back to the same thing that your soul is prompting you so hard to ultimately to reveal itself through you, that, you know, you're connecting with it more and more and you're just feeling you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, obviously someone who's totally self-realised is just a living example of meditation in motion. It's not that they have to sit down and meditate. They are meditation. I had on Neil Donald Walsh not too long ago, and he told me about when he would be in the presence of Khan. His energy would be so affecting to the people around him because he was so present. Yeah, that's so true. The more you're able to be present, the more you're able to be in that state of awareness, the more power it builds in you your wakefulness increases, you become more and more wakeful. And this power can be detected by, you know, people around you. If you've ever been in the presence of a truly authentic master, they don't have to say anything, you're being transformed just from their energy. Mm. You know, it's almost like talking gets in the way. (laughs) But yeah, the more you build your power, the self-awareness book kind of points that the more you can increase the positive polarity, the more you get balanced, the more your power builds. When you're asleep, that increases positive polarity. Uh, when you're conscious of your what you're doing during the day, that increases positive polarity. So as long as you can have more positive polarity than negative polarity, your power is going to build and you'll become more and more wakefulness. And at the end of the day, it's all about being wakeful. In every area, right? In your relationships, in yeah. the way you eat, 
in mm -hmm. the way you receive Mother Earth. I mean, mm -hmm. and all of these things are so important. I can't, I can't think of anything more important than awareness. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a few months ago, I ended up in the hospital with colitis. Mm. And it was because I had laryngitis. It's so funny because I didn't realize how I wasn't being aware with my body. Mm. I was being aware of my thoughts. Yeah. I was present with you know nature and all the things, but somehow my body just fell off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was taking all this ibuprofen because yeah. I, I needed to talk, you know, and have these interviews. But it ended up being a blessing in the end, too, of course, right? Here we got duality. And in the end, I, I was so present with myself. The fasting that I mm. had to do in the hospital. And the cleanse that I had to do when I got out, I hadn't had that much energy mm. in so long. I hadn't felt that good in so long and I didn't even know it. So it was a blessing. And then I was very conscious about what I wanted to put back into the body now that I was cleansed and clear. Mm. <laughs> Have you ever one thought that uh, there's a, maybe a, it's a physical re reaction to that's where the throat chakra is? And the throat chakra is all about communication or putting into words, you know, what you might pick up through intuitively or whatever through the third eye, but it still has to somehow be communicated in this realm. So maybe that was had something to do with it. I'm not saying it did, but yeah. And of course, and I talk about this a lot in the self-awareness book, uh, the Kundalini. And that's transforming you from within as well. And that can have physical symptoms. So, yeah. you know, it could have been Kundalini working in the throat chakra that led to the physical experience. It's a very transformative energy. And it always used to fascinate me. That's why basically my thesis back way back when I did that thesis for the degree was on basically on the Kundalini. And I've always been fascinating in this internal energy, the fact that everybody has it either dormant at the base of the spine, ready for the time when it's time. And usually it's on when you're on the evolutionary cycle, you know, the return journey home, shall we say, that it gets activated and it transforms you from within, literally. And it takes a long time and sometimes it's not not easy but it does and it works through the chakras backwards and forwards it doesn't just do one at a time and um, basically it's telling you that what ultimately you're you know maybe not this life but ultimately you're going to become enlightened and that's your destiny where, where you're heading and incidentally the kundalini is also representative of the divine feminine the feminine fire within you know there's so many um comparisons you know that, that can be drawn um, presence being present is also considered the divine feminine yeah you can't rigidly stick something too much in a box but yeah that's fascinating it is you know um the first time i ever heard the word kundalini is is mm. quite funny it was shortly after that bubble bath <laughs> yeah. uh, but I also at the time was taking a mindfulness class 
and I was making these rugs and I would Mm. crochet them and I'd start in the middle of a circle and it would go out, you know, it would spiral out. I'd crochet them and, and I would do it with like, with material. So they were like rag rugs and it, I mean, they would get really big around me and I'd be in the middle Mm. and it was very meditative too, because, you know, I'm so focused on it and I, and it was relaxing and I would let go and I wouldn't think about so many things. And I would put on this chant and it was an old Hindu chant Mm. and I didn't know what, what it was. I didn't know it was an old Hindu chant. I just liked it. And I would sit in my circle and it would just over and over chant. And Mm. then next thing you know, my whole body is in so much pain. I mean, I had, I went to the doctor, I had a list of symptoms and she's like, we're not going to get to all this. And I was like, well, all of them are very real, all of them. And she's like, well, I think you have fibromyalgia. So here, go home and take all these drugs, you know, Mm. muscle relaxers. Mm. So when I looked at my symptoms on Google, which was, there wasn't Mm. a lot of information on Google, but when it was like about a little bit over a decade ago, and I kept running into Kundalini awakening. Every time I put my symptoms in, I'd find blog posts about people talking about Kundalini. And I call, I remember calling my best friend, Mandy saying, what the hell is a Kundalini, a Kundalini? I said, I I think I might got that. Might have been better if you used the Chinese word chi or chi or something like that, might have known it, which reminds me, you know, listening to you talk, usually talking a lot, uh, depletes your energy. You know, you're trying to increase your energy, but talking a lot depletes your energy. However, if you're talking consciously and you're talking about something like with higher purpose and it's for the benefit of others, it actually increases your positive polarity. So you're not wasting your, depleting your wakefulness or your energy by doing what you're doing. Yeah, I COVID a few times and I thought, well, maybe I should cancel my interview. And then I'd say, no, you know why? Because I knew the minute I got on the call, COVID could not stand this energy that would, my Shakti energy, I know I have it. And every symptom would just dissolve the minute I have, you know, this high vibe conversation. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I guess the bottom line is it's be conscious as much as you can, be wakeful as much as you can. And that's that's how we we should try to live our, our days, our lives. When we are aware of everything in the world, sometimes we, sometimes for the first time, that it's actually not as beautiful as we thought it was, or maybe we've just shut out some of the things because we didn't want to see it because they're suffering it's a difficult one but if you accept that everything is let's say divine play everything is oneness and nothing is separate from the one then you can perhaps look at it as it's appropriate all right it's Everything is exactly as it's meant to be. It's just our judgments of what's right and wrong and what should be, what shouldn't be, that colour it differently. So 
yeah everything is exactly as it should be and, and we're trying to make it otherwise and that is what actually causes us a lot of internal discomfort people shouldn't do that you know or why is he doing that or whatever if you could just try and accept that it's appropriate it doesn't mean you just leave it be and, and don't bother with it you it's appropriate to make changes and to do the right thing but this acceptance that all is appropriate i'll give a quote here uh, you couldn't be more on schedule if you tried. I had someone one time ask me, and I can't remember even who it was. They said, is there any way to like go back to sleep? I don't want to see mm. everything like this anymore. It's too painful. Yeah. Yikes. Um, yeah. I don't really think it's, you, you might temporarily think you've gone back, but even that must be appropriate and push you forwards. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we can just go backwards. Not not in the long term. A bit like shears, isn't it? They go up and down, but ultimately they always go forwards. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Well, thank you so much. I just feel like you know we. I need to have more conversations about just being and just mm. being aware and just being present. Yeah. Yeah. And just being one with everything. I love how you said that because mm. I, when you were saying that, I thought, well, maybe like the war that's happening mm. right now is just like my colitis. <laughs> There's another quote I use for my, I often tell it to my meditation group and it's, you, you know, the, the phrase, uh, don't just sit there, do something. Yeah. Well, you turn it around and say, don't just do something, sit there. Oh. <laughs> That's very, very good. Very turning it around. Yeah. Be, try to be, not do all the time. Mm. Or be while you're doing that. That's probably a better way to go. But yeah, be present. Well, Charles, will you tell everybody where they can find your book? And do you have a website too? Um, yeah, if you go to my website, there's links in there. The website's basically my name. So it's it's Charles Atfield. Atfield with two T's. And I will make sure that I put this in the show notes so they can go right to it. The name of your book is Self-Awareness and Meditation. Yeah. And it says under that, an advanced guide for meditators. It's not trying to say it's only for advanced meditators, but it's quite got a lot of stuff in it. So you can go to it as a beginner, but you know, if you're really a beginner in all this stuff, it's, use it as a reference book if that's the case. But there's a lot of stuff in there, you know, like the dreams, for example, that would be of value to anyone. And there's also at the back of the book, the very end, there's a supplementary meditation course you know, like lesson one, lesson two, and so on. And it's based on the book and it's trying to simplify it into a little course. So then you might think, well, what's that? And go back to the book and look at it. A lot of people say to me that they have a hard time meditating. Mm. You know, I have a hard time shutting my mind off. And that was me too at one point. I mm. thought, you know, my, my therapist just got done, mm. you know, diagnosing me with ADHD. And then she tells me to go take a mindfulness class. I'm like, what? <laughs> That is the most common question. I can't meditate. I think too much. Or another one I get a lot is I'll just fall asleep. Um, oh, I do that. Falling asleep is part of the meditation. You don't beat yourself up about it. You're in a medita You've been meditating. You're falling asleep. 
it's actually the positive polarity sleeping absence is another word for it and i don't know about you but you can come out of that sleep state and actually be quite subtly aware even after after the sleep so but as for thoughts well we all thought you can't you we can't stop them i'm sure meditation master can but you just let them go and don't get attached to them um and as you practice if you try and stick to the same time every day your unconscious is going to begin to realize this is the time that you meditate and it will start to help you it's like a, a structure that you've built so sitting properly picking the right time same time every day and this is beginners of course so if, you know later on you can do it whenever you want but the structure you know sitting to meditate same time every day just do it that's the first lesson just do it and does it matter how long you do it because you know some no. people are like you know i don't have time to do it oh that reminds me of a quote if you can't meditate for 20 minutes a day then meditate for an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> just yeah. do it and yeah it will be uncomfortable that's the clearing all right yeah. you sit and you try and meditate and you start to feel restless and uncomfortable that's what it's all about basically yeah clearing stuff and becoming more who you really are okay just do I like it lesson like one do it yeah and everyone's different you know yeah. don't expect it to happen overnight just yeah. do it make the right environment nice environment you might want incense you might want relaxing music whatever is a nice environment that will help yeah yeah take what you can thank you so much charles you yeah, brought so you. much wisdom you've inspired me to want to fall asleep to a great meditation <laughs> tonight because you yeah. know you really do sleep better too you oh, know yeah. yeah if you do fall asleep i mean yeah yeah, yeah it's got its health benefits you know, sleep better, uh, you become calmer, more accepting, and so on. Yeah, you know. and you might have some really cool dreams. <laughs> and you might do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And if I you dream when you're in, if you dream when you're in the sleep state of meditation, you can call that a meditative dream. Ooh. If you meditate before you go to bed, maybe your sleep will be more meditative too. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, Charles. You have a great rest of your day. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Sense of Soul podcast. And thanks to our special guests for joining me. If you want more of Sense of Soul, check out my website at www.mysenseofsoul.com where you can work with me one-on-one -on -one or help support Sense of Soul podcast by donating to my coffee fund. Thanks for listening.